Mac Power Users, episode 633, Workflows with Nick Milo. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, and I am joined by my co-host, fresh back from a nice trip into the mountains, Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen? I'm good, David. How are you? Excellent. So you got to unplug for a little bit last week. That's cool. Yeah, I went and visited some family and then spent some time up in the mountains in North Carolina. And uh, yeah, very uh, little cell service, which was great. Did very little work. And uh, it was it's always good to unplug for a few days. Yeah, and all the Mac Studio reviews dropped and you could just ignore them because you were out of range. So that's cool. <laughs> it, just, right? it, it just meant when I came home, I had like a bunch of st- stuff to read and, and yeah. watch. And uh, I'm very excited about getting mine uh, hopefully very soon. Yeah. Yeah, I did a thing with the Max Market Labs and several several subscribers have ordered theirs and people are excited. It seems to me almost like people are more excited about the display than the than the Mac. Um and yeah, that I kind of makes fair. sense because, you know, it's going to work with so many laptops. But uh we're not here today to talk about the Mac Studio. We're here to talk today to Nick Milo. Welcome to the show, Nick. Hey, hey, happy to be here. Yeah, as far as folks who don't know, Nick has got a popular YouTube channel called linking your thinking. And I stumbled into Nick's content, like, I don't know, about a year ago, Nick, you first started making just really high quality stuff about obsidian. And I thought it was excellent. And, uh, I was a fan of what you were doing. And then my pal, Mike Schmitz joined one of your cohorts and, uh, you came on the focus podcast and, uh, you and I have become friends in the, in the meantime. And, uh, I'm just a, a big fan of the stuff you make, Nick. Well, you know, thank you. I, I appreciate that. It's um, it's a pleasure and honor to be here and just in general in the space of talking about the things that we all seem to have similar passions around and excitements around. Um, and I'm yeah, I'm just really thankful to be here. And, and the journey here was kind of strange, but uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here now. Well, let's just talk about the journey for a minute. Like, um, I know that you started, like your first business was like, was some sort of a gym or something, right? What was it? Yeah, so uh, I, I grew up in Montana, and there isn't any established industry to the outside world um, in the tech space or in the entertainment space or fitness or anything, really. Um, yeah. So uh, after graduation, I spent, well, I spent some time as a civil engineer, but along with that, I was, I guess, moonlighting with one of my friends and college football teammates to developed this business called Pink Gloves Boxing. And it was uh, targeted mainly towards women, but not exclusively. And it was a fitness boxing program. And that was in 2009. Um, and it was it was just about as, as much about empowerment as it was about the, the, the exercise itself. And so that was something that we licensed, kind of grew it into something really cool and wanted, like there were a few aspects to it. We, the camaraderie we experienced in college football was so amazing. And we wanted to have something similar like that, that we could share with others. And then we also wanted to systematize boxing because unlike all, you know, like all the other martial arts out there, they have this, you know, the, the system of belts. And so we kind of created a system of tiers that work for boxing. And, and there are reasons that that's never really happened before, but we were, we were happy to do that. So we take someone who's never thrown a punch and then, Four years later, they, they're doing things you wouldn't believe. Yeah. And then somehow you went from there to becoming a editor for Better Call Saul. <laughs> I mean, that's quite a change. Yeah. Um, 
I guess long story short there is just I've, I've always been interested in the filmmaking side of things um, and then made a couple indie feature films. But eventually in 2016, jumped over to uh, Los Angeles, started giving people, getting people coffee and doing the whole lunch thing as a PA, a production assistant. You're the lowest person on yeah. the, uh, uh, in, in rank. And I uh, just worked my way up slowly but surely and uh, got involved with some really great people. And that led to crazy, crazy opportunities that I, I shouldn't really have had, but somehow they, they landed in front of me and I, I did not hesitate to, to take advantage of those opportunities. And so, yeah, um, edited, assistant edited very briefly on Breaking Bad, the movie, and then just finished my final gig, most likely, it, most likely in the entertainment industry, which was the Better Call Saul final season. Which I'm very much looking forward to watching when it comes out. <laughs> it's so good. So good. Yeah. But, you know, it is it is interesting when you want to, like, get into an industry, being the guy that gets the coffee and just being in the room so often can lead to opportunities. And obviously you have to take advantage of the opportunity. You have to have the talent when the opportunity arrives. But uh, folks who are... Um, think that kind of work is below them if you're trying to break into something i think it's exactly where you need to be and um sounds like you pulled that one off pretty nice and then and then linking your thinking kind of blew up and now that's your main thing right yeah yeah um i, I just one last point on that too is because i jumped into uh, being a pa in my later 20s so uh you know mo most people who are 22 think that's below them but i was i was an old pa and uh, I just humbled myself and I knew what the, the end game was. And was, this was a, a beautiful step, like you said, to be in the room. And uh, that's where the magic can happen. So, um, yeah, then, you know, with the pandemic happening, working from home, uh, there was always this undercurrent of activities and hobbies, much like we all like our Macs. Um, a, a hobby that I had was personal knowledge management. Um, and I was doing it for the calm, for the joy of it all, I guess, connecting ideas over time. This is just something I've been doing, um, but the tools have gotten a lot better. So there was one that particularly was just started into a beta and I got in on it very early. It was called Obsidian. And I was just blown away because they were finally doing the thing that I really needed. And it caused unintended second order effects and consequences. So it wasn't just linking notes together, but uh, much like other technologies, when when something happens, these un unintended consequences happen, and th those were really exciting. So I just shared some ideas around that, and then next thing I know, people are like, "Share more," and then I share more, and you know, it's just that feedback loop, and I guess it became something where there's now like online workshops and stuff like that. Yeah, it's really well done, and uh, for those of you that are cringing at the term obsidian because i know some of you do uh we're not going to just talk about obsidian today we're going to talk about some other things with nick but we are going to talk a bit about obsidian for the, probably the first half of the show so i'm just giving you a heads up because mm -hmm. uh i have questions and nick's got some great ideas um uh, but before we get into that nick uh what is your gear at this point what, what kind of mac are you driving yes yeah, so right now i have the imac and this is the 24 inch apple m1 um, 16 gigs of, of memory. So I think what's, it's about a year and a half old. <laughs> you would know better than me. Maybe it's two years. Which color did you get? I got blue. 
you know, I can, uh, the blue to me kind of has like the Bondi blue connection, right? It's like, oh yeah, the original <laughs> iMac, you kind of want to get a blue one. I, I get that attraction. Yeah, it's nice. It's, uh, and, and I mean, I don't know what happened with the M1, but it's just, everything just hums along. And while I'm looking to upgrade just because uh, it might be nice, there's really no, no existential reason because mm-hmm. it's just working so well. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's really been such a an amazing thing in the Apple Silicon transition is that the I'm doing giant air quotes on audio podcast. The consumer machines are so good. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people like you're doing, and we're gonna get into all your workflows a little bit later, where you're doing video and content and all this stuff on a consumer machine that's not that much money relative to other things. Uh, it's just so impressive that what they've been able to do with it. Yeah, it is. It's it's that point w- with TVs where, you know, I don't know about you, but for for years, for a decade, and over that, I've always wondered, well, where are TVs going next? Like, how can they keep improving where we want to keep buying them? And and they find a way, and especially Apple, Apple finds a way. But uh, but I mean, you don't have to shell out everything, and you'll have something that can last for a very long time now and be insanely powerful. Yeah, th- this is like a thing I keep talking about, but I really feel like the Mac is headed the direction of the iPad. And the iPad is a single system and a chip. It's almost like a it's almost like um, an appliance. You buy it and it just works for a really long time. And mm-hmm. I think that is going to become a thing with the new Macs. I think people like that iMac you have on your desk will probably still be running fine in six years. And you'll mm-hmm. probably never have had a problem with it. And I think for a lot of people, that means that they won't upgrade as often and hopefully they'll have a better experience with their Apple purchase. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I just, <laughs> it seems to me like when you look at, you know, basically Macs are turning into souped up iPads in a lot of ways, you know, and I, I get that it's running a different operating system, but internally and um, the iPads are legendary for running a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just think we're heading that direction. Do you have a laptop or is it just your just your iMac at this point? I have a laptop. It's pretty old though because it was before they went with the butterfly keys. Yeah, it's like okay. the last version before the bad version of the butterfly keys. Okay. And uh it's, it's like 2014 and it's time, it's time for an upgrade, but um but I they just hadn't figured it out until the M1 came along where yeah, for me it felt like their laptops were in this purgatory where I didn't want to purchase any. Yeah. But now yeah. I think it's time. I mean, for so many years on Mac Power Users, the opening segment with guests was about how they hated their keyboard. <laughs> and now the opening segment is about how they love their M1s. So it's it's kind of funny how this has evolved. It's 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 been a net gain for Apple. Let's just let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And, and the funny thing about keyboards on that point is that I use this chiclet chiclet based. Um it's basically like the full-sized um apple keyboard except it's made by logic keyboard because it's for uh, video editors who use avid so it's this ridiculous keyboard um it's not mechanical i know a lot of people like to do that but here you know it's it's still kind of mushy but for some reason i really like it never get between a man and his keyboard that's what i say (laughs) What about uh, what about an iPad? We know we talk to a lot of people who are sort of in similar spaces as you, where you're doing video and other content, and it's wild to me 
the range of answers we get on how the iPad fits in to their lives and their workflow. So where is it for you? I'm definitely on the extreme of one of those ranges. I'm curious about the the other extreme, but for me, it's never worked. It's never worked. I always get excited that, you know, the, the latest Apple show happens and I'm like, oh, maybe now's the time and then I'll get it, but it just doesn't work for me. I think I really, if I'm doing work, I want the power of a keyboard and a mouse and, and those applications that are on a desktop. And I just haven't been able to make it work for me. Yeah. You're not unusual. I mean, that's not unusual. I think there's a lot of people for whom, you know, they're looking for a Mac experience. And uh, as Stephen and I have talked about in the past, I just don't think that's Apple's interest with the iPad. You know, they're, they're not looking at giving you that. So you're not going to get what you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, iPhone? Yeah, iPhone. Hey, as of yesterday, I um, got the iPhone 13 mini. I like the smaller form factor. And that was an upgrade from, I had the iPhone 8 for a very long time. Um, I am kind of sad though to give up the the um, the touch ID because okay. I, I don't know. Every, everyone seems. I'm curious, actually, your both of your opinions on this, but I don't know if I'm just being marketed to that the Face ID is better. But I've always appreciated being able to unlock my phone in my pocket, and by the time I bring it up, it's already ready to go. Or just it, it, randomly, I might not be looking at it directly. It might be at some sort of oblique angle. And just the touch ID was something I really enjoyed. I hope they eventually get it through the the screen itself. But uh, but here we are. I have the iPhone 13 mini. Yeah, it definitely takes some time to make that adjustment. And, and you've joined it at really a great time because iOS 15.4, which is basically brand new, allows face unlocking with a mask. So if you're public and wearing a mask before this, mm-hmm you had to fall back to your passcode or use like the Apple watch unlock. And so you've picked <laughs> probably accidentally a pretty good time <laughs> to check out face ID for the first time. Uh, but I'd give it some time. I, I've really come to, uh, to prefer it because with a smaller mm-hmm. phone, maybe it's less of a, a, a big deal, but I'm on the other end. Like I've got the 13 pro max, like my phone could eat your phone and <laughs> what I found what I really like about it is that I don't have to hold it like a certain way to get my thumb over the button to unlock it. Like I can just, it could be at a table and I can glance down and unlock it, or I can be holding it in a way where my thumb isn't where it needs to be. Uh, and I've really come to like it. I mean, I've definitely gone back to touch ID. In fact, I set up an iPhone eight for a family member recently and was, you know, getting touch ID set up with them and stuff. I was like, how this feels so limited that like I've got to like touch it in a very certain place. So it's, it's funny how our <laughs> opinions on that could change over time. I think, I think we get the hang of it. Okay. I'm open for that and, and, and excited for the, the transition. And, and living in LA, you're, um, you know, you don't, you have, don't have to wear gloves. Right. Um, but for folks in cold weather, uh, wearing gloves oh, yeah. with touch ID isn't fun, you know? And, um, so it's like, do you take off your hand in freezing weather, your glove in freezing weather? You know, you can just look at the phone. That's another big advantage. But, wow. uh, to me, I feel like there's trade-offs with both of them, but, uh, having used face ID for a long time, it, it works fine. It's just not really, it becomes a non-issue pretty quick. I am kind of curious though, why you went with the small one is that, uh, you just use like the small size phone. Uh, yeah, um, I, I say this every now and then, but unfortunately I was, uh, graced with my mom's hands. <laughs> so they're a little bit smaller and, and daintier. 
Uh, my dad had these massive hands and unfortunately I didn't get them. So I like the smaller phone just so it's easier to grasp a single, cause I, you know, I just want to be able to maneuver things around and make sure it doesn't slip or anything. So, and the rumor is they're not going to make another small phone later this year when they, they're going to make their, the small phone is going away. If that's the wow. case, I mean, who knows? So you may have got the last, you know, last one before they shut the door there. So you may be in good shape for a while. Yep. Uh, maybe for four or five years and then we'll see, we'll see what happens. <laughs> This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Head over to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off your plan. 1Password's been a longtime sponsor of the Mac Power Users. I've been a fan of the company since their inception, and I'm a big fan of their family plan. And I've talked in the show before about how I've got the family plan and I've been using it with my kids to kind of get them more aware of online security as they're getting older now. I think it's really given them some great habits. And one of the things 1Password does that I really love is their blog. And they've got a great entry in their blog. I'm going to link it in the show notes here. We don't usually do that for sponsor posts, but I think this one is worth it. It's called Talking to Your Kids About Online Safety. And uh, Andrew over 1Password wrote this excellent blog post about ways to approach online security with your children in a way that you can become their ally and, you know, not make them afraid because you're the parent or chase them away from online security ideas. And uh, it's just an excellent article. I, I read the thing top to bottom and I shared it with a bunch of friends and family because I think that folks really need to understand how vulnerable children can be on the Internet. And it's just so easy for them to get into trouble. And I thought this was just an excellent article. And I want to thank 1Password for for posting it. So I'll put the link in the show notes and that's my homework for you is go check this article out and share it with a few people that you know that could use a better online security. At the same time, while you're there, check out 1Password. It's just an excellent password manager for you. Uh, I use it. Steven uses it. Not only do they manage your passwords, they also manage your you know, online data. They uh, generate strong and unique passwords for you. They monitor the websites you use to make sure they haven't been hacked and they let you know if they have. They've just got a top to bottom kind of security answer for normal people like us. And uh, I'm a big fan. Like I said, I use it with the family and I'd encourage you to check it out. If you go to onepassword.com slash MPU, you'll get 20% off. But even if you're not going to subscribe, I would encourage you to go check out this article and share it with folks that you know that have children that could also benefit from this knowledge. So uh, thank you, OnePassword, for making great software, but also sharing this great information with the community. Once again, that URL is onepassword.com slash MPU. Thanks a lot, OnePassword, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. So let's uh, let's get into the the Obsidian topic, and uh, I wanted to ask you. You mentioned your varied careers over the years, and my background's pretty similar. I worked a bunch of different types of things before I landed where I am now. Is your passion for this, your interest in personal knowledge management, like did that come out of those times of? working in these different projects and these different industries and you trying to like patch something together over the years. Like I'm curious kind of how the seed grew for you to end up where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's where we, we have that commonality is, um, you know, trying all these different things and you're trying to think how to manage that. Um, I probably can say this now, but I'd be at my civil engineering job and the night before <laughs> I would load up a flash drive of, um, articles that I had downloaded 
this is so manual of a process. I would copy and paste. I would put them into a Microsoft Word document. Uh, this is like 2008, 2009. And then I would make the font like six or eight, really tiny. Mm-hmm. And I'd put it onto a flash drive, take that to work, do all my work as rapidly as possible. And then I would just be studying Microsoft Word documents of all the articles I possibly could read for um, maybe half the day. So in that case, I was not the the best employee, but I was just so hungry. I was just so hungry to learn. And that was, um, and when you're trying to do multiple things, I think you have to get a little bit more creative about how, I guess what we'd say now is how you're managing this knowledge. And so that's just Word. And then around that same time, Evernote came around, but um, still in the office, Word was better because then people think you're just looking at Word if they see your, your screen but they can't read it because the type is so tiny. Yeah, I remember when I first started and I made the type the smallest possible and I made fun of everybody that needed the bigger type. And now, I, uh, now I'm now i the other guy. So <laughs> it's a little sad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of clever uh, though. I just load it into a Word document, you know, put engineering yeah. something, something at the top of the screen and yeah. fill it, it up with information about film editing. <laughs> it's like those games that look like an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> Yeah. It's not working here. Oh. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was it was pretty good. So, that got me started then um but then Evernote was a way to manage uh, a few different things simultaneously, one being the that fitness boxing business. And then also there are some other college uh buddies of mine and we ended up making two independent feature films and so managing the aspects, you know, like trying to rapidly learn how that how do you do that and uh you know, there was no easy way to find answers. So, well, the knowledge management tools at the time were very helpful because you could make fast notes. You could um, you could save articles that can be a trap, but you could save them and like try to make sense of things for the producing side, for the acting side, for the editing side, you know, all these different aspects. How can we, you know, how, how can I up my skills fast enough to to pull my weight for those projects? So that was that was a big part. Okay, so now let me interrupt there for a minute because Evernote never landed with me, and I get in this argument all the time with listeners when they when they email me. I always felt like Evernote is like this roach motel of data, right? You you dump all these articles into it, but you can. It's really hard to get them out, and and honestly, I don't find like the personal knowledge management part. You know, I want to get into that in a minute here, but like while Evernote is a great repository of things that you thought were important. I mean, putting it together and actually using that as like a working library, I've never been able to do that with Evernote. Well, I mean, I agree. I agree. Absolutely. Evernote is, um, it was a great Evernote's contribution from my perspective is popularizing fast notes, the ability to click, you know, click a button and you have a new note or, or save way too many things. Um, but I agree with you. It's, it's not a functional place. And there was a point, it was 2015 for me where, um, my Evernote, I had to kind of declare digital knowledge bankruptcy. And it was a horrible feeling (laughs) because I realized I I was locked in this tool that I hated. And a lot of my most cherished thoughts were next to dumb to-do lists that had expired years ago and articles that I never read or don't care to read now. And, uh, you know, it just, our environment shape us and Evernote as a tool was shaping me in a way that uh, had outlived its usefulness, I think. 
When did the term personal knowledge management come into your lexicon first? I mean, at what point did that become a thing on your radar? It's a good question. I, I'm thinking 2018 is my guess yeah. because I was trying to understand like, you know, what is the broader, where can I learn more about this stuff in a more structured way? Because I mean, there's just the app ecosystem for that stuff was so sp- sparse when you go out there into the wild. And for me, it was using plain text files because they're so future-proof. And I was trying to find ways to make that work. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of Tiddlywink, Tiddlywiki, which is a strange name, but that was a piece of software that was pretty interesting. They didn't use plain text files, but they um, it was a good piece of software in its own right. I think it's an HTML source. And anyways, yeah, just trying to figure out ways to manage all this craziness out there. Yeah. No, I, 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 that doesn't surprise me because it, it's fairly recent, really, that people have started to say, you know, we went through phase one was use the computer to hold everything. But now we're at phase two, get the computer to help us think differently about the stuff we have, which to me, that's kind of the personal mm-hmm. knowledge management thing. I mean, I know it's more than that. It's also keeping track of when your dog gets its shots or whatever, but um, I think the the real payoff is where it helps you develop ideas. And uh, and is that what you think? I mean, I guess the other question is, what do you consider personal knowledge management is? Hey, yeah, well, I think I resonate with what you're saying. I heard recently when someone said, well, you know, personal knowledge management, it's, it's basically we want a research assistant that works well for us. And I took a lot of like offense to that because I'm like, no, that's not what I want. I don't want a research assistant. Uh, for me, and and the reason it's bubble, it's springing from with within me. My my enthusiasm for it is because it brings me joy. Uh, it brings me calm. If if you have the right environment, then it can be a place to get away from the never ending onslaught of information that continually bombards us. Um, so yeah, you can use it as all those all the above. It really can serve. When, when you think of knowledge management, it's it's really PKM, uh, personal knowledge management, it it's just has to explode because, um, because we're all overwhelmed. And I mean, it's fine if you have a very clear-cut job and a very clear-cut uh, lifestyle that doesn't change much. But the moment that you leave that uh, cabin and start to like go down the stream or, you know, enter a bigger river or start hiking it's a crazy world out there and we need a tool to help us manage that. Um, but what I always want to point out is it's not just to get more things done for me. It's always came from a place of, it's always come from a place of, uh, finding like balance and calm again. And, uh, and I think that's, what's so rejuvenating. If you think about it from that, from that perspective is it's not this thing that you have to do and manage, but in, instead it can just be a place that you return to, um, as a break to get out of the storm and kind of reorient yourself a bit. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's really become two different jobs. PKM wears two different hats for me. Part of it is just life management where like, um, somebody asked me to write an article for a thing recently and I'm like, okay, so I have a note in obsidian and I've got links to the emails and the calendar events and the things that relate to that. And it's just a, it's like a, a home base for that, little part that little project in my life right so that 
that is the kind of like the day to day stuff. Or even like I wasn't kidding earlier when the dog goes in for the shots, I just take a note. There's a, there's a note for the dog. And so it's got a bunch of like life stuff in it, but then um, I find it very useful for writing down the way I think about things and it can be really hippie stuff and probably listeners don't want to hear about it all, but you start tying that together and it really, it's like a whole different level of, and that's kind of what you focus on over at linking your thinking really. Yeah. I, I think without saying it out loud, I'm trying to help uh, people shape their life philosophies uh, yeah. in a way like that's, I haven't said that until now or thought about it, but um yeah, just essentially, once you actually ask the big question, which is, what is my relationship to knowledge? Um, and the best example is that David Foster Wallace um, intro to his speech, This is Water, where the two fish, young fish are swimming by. The old old fish is swimming in the opposite direction. The old fish says, how's the water, boys? And then the, the young fish look at each other and they say, what's water? And, uh, and our water that we're swimming in all the time is data and information. And it's only when we look at some of it and it means a lot to us that we want to like remember it, externalize it, do something with it, that it becomes a form of knowledge that we can work with. And if we want to understand our relationship with, if we can further define what we want our relationship to knowledge to be. And, uh, you know, there are really two paths, if you will. One is sort of that FOMO path that society wants us to have that that I think that uh, fear of missing out, FOMO, that I think that um, Evernote encourages, then we're going to have this unhealthy relationship and say, I don't want to do this knowledge management stuff. What's that all about? But if it instead it becomes more of like the joy of the, of the information, of the knowledge, the encounters, the relationships that you meet, well, then it's a completely different experience. And, uh, and so I think when people start to feel that joy, then they, you know, we had a comment, uh, just today and then, um, I'll, I'll go on to the next uh, question and or comment and all that. But we had a comment today where we're doing these showcases for the, this workshop and obsidian itself is a very technical tool, but all the showcases are so creative and personal and the metaphors that they're using, Hey, this is my village. And this is, you know, I go to the, the, t- the town hall for this type of work. And I then, and then someone else is like, the, I go to the chimney and the fireplace. And so they're personalizing the knowledge and using their own metaphors that work for their, for their purposes. But we're all trying to do the same thing and have a relationship with knowledge. I just find it as endlessly fascinating. Well, just like you had impeccable time in buying your iPhone mini, your mini iPhone, <laughs> you've also had impeccable timing about becoming interested in the topic of personal knowledge management in the way you describe, because just as you were getting into it, we had this kind of revolutionary explosion of tools that, that afford that, you know, and uh, Obsidian isn't the only one. And I was curious, what are the tools you kind of went through on your way to Obsidian? Sure. Uh, as a as a quick overview, um, I think I started with Evernote, and then when I um, felt lost and like I was suffering from digital dementia, truly, um, that was in 2015. I went plain text. I took my files out of that format and decided, hey, if I want to be serious about preserving these cherished memories, let me go into a, a format that I know will stick around. That was plain text, and I used um, some older tools, NV Alt, and 
Um, yeah. MVL, it's a great app, still is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that got me thinking plain text and um, linking in a pretty rudimentary way of information. Yeah. And then um, the two German guys at zettelkosten.de came out with the archive. And this is still kind of the Luddites version of how to keep your knowledge um, future-proofed. It doesn't have any bells or whistles, but it does what it needs to do. And it creates a timestamp for each new note. And then you just put in whatever, and then you can link the file names uh, to each other in a rudimentary way. It's actually based on search. So um, I was fine with the archive. I was loving life. Things were going well. I was doing what I needed to after you know a long day of uh, getting people coffee and and meals. I could come back and find calm in you know the archive as an app. Um, I completely missed the boat on Rome because I wasn't interested in what they had to offer. Uh, it felt too proprietary once again, and that's what I was avoiding when I left Evernote. Uh, but then eventually, you know, in those forums, in the zettelkosten.de forums, uh, somebody in there said, hey, there's this new uh, beta, Obsidian. It's like, oh, let me check it out because I'm always trying to check out these new these new tools at that time. Yeah. And uh, I was like, wow, this thing is doing everything it needs to. It's allowing me to own my information, keep it plain text. It's looking at the same notes that the archive is currently looking at. And I can edit in either application. Whoa. So this this whole idea of interoperability and, you know, like not being captive to your app was really uh, amazing. And then, I mean, I, I could keep going, but the two developers just so happen to be uh, mind-blowingly, um, I mean, they're the best. They are, I mean, there are a lot of developers out there, but the, the, you can't really have a list of the best developers uh, in 2020, 2021, 2022, and not include them on the list because what they do and how fast they do, it just, just blows your mind. Oh, no, I, I totally agree. Uh, make the case, though, for Obsidian for folks. I, I've taught, we did a show on it about a year ago, um, but, you know, it's evolved since then. And, and some folks have heard about it, but don't really understand what it is. And, uh, Explain it for for somebody out there who's never opened the app before. One of the goals is to try to create a personal uh, wiki, a personal Wikipedia for yourself. So if you ever think about anybody, um, like uh, you know, like Aristotle here in the in the Western culture, Aristotle comes up a lot, and unfortunately, I've never really externalized Aristotle into a note that I can make notes when he comes up again and be like, oh yeah, my friend in, you know, five years ago mentioned him in this context. And so every time I encounter the Aristotle as, as a person, as a philosopher and his ideas, I'm always starting from scratch. I'm like, what wasted effort? Because I've never taken the time to truly grapple with, you know, his works and, and all that. But when you have the knowledge management tools like Obsidian, I could I could right now just really quickly make a note called Aristotle. And then whenever someone mentions something, I can go back to that note and say, well, Aristotle taught this or this and that. And then you start to basically create for yourself um, a personal Wikipedia, but it's cognitive scaffolding. And again, this is going to get too technical, so I better cut myself off. But it accelerates how you can make sense of the world and it does so in a reliable and sustainable way. Yeah. I, I was saying, do you want me to share my Aristotle note with you? Cause I do have one in obsidian. 
Boom. <laughs> nice. They, they, but it, <laughs> you know, the, the way it works, it, it really is, it is cross-linking. And this has been going on. There's a bunch of apps that have been doing it for a long time. But um, I feel like Obsidian, one of the things they've done really well is done it under the structure of markdown text. And to me, that's something that makes it kind of special. It's a folder full of markdown files because... Uh, like you experience with Evernote, it, when you invest in a platform, you're always afraid that they're going to go some direction you don't like or or just fold up or sell or do something that's going to make it unusable to you. And with Obsidian, mm-hmm. because it's a folder full of markdown files, I own that. That database is mine. Mm-hmm. I can take it and use it anywhere I want. If Obsidian folds up tomorrow, I didn't really lose much because I've still got that folder and. And they just make it ridiculously simple to link um, things. Like every time the word Aristotle comes up in a note, I put two brackets around it like a Wikipedia, and now it all links back to Aristotle. And it is a it's a great way to kind of collect in and uh, interlineate. You know, uh, Tiago Forte has that great uh, um, product. Uh, what's it called? The Second Brain. You know, and um, and this kind of is that, you know, it allows you to externalize stuff like that. I'm not good at holding the exact phrasing of Aristotle quotes, but I know things he said that resonated with me. And with something like Obsidian, I can get access to it very quickly. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, um, <laughs> use David's response of what Obsidian is <laughs> and not mine. <laughs> it's a folder of markdown files. Yeah. And oh, I, I will just add this. Um, until recently, we didn't have the power to link ideas together. Like we had the World Wide Web and we could go into WordPress and create links ourselves. But now we can create links as fast as we can think. And that is truly a revolution. Like to, to connect ideas that fast. Um, that's amazing. And it's free. It's right in front of us. It's free. We can use this right now. It's an exciting time. And what's so interesting to me about it is that it is at the heart of it, this pretty simple tool. Like David said, it uses Markdown in plain text, but you can add onto it and build up from there as you see fit. So let's uh, let's take our break and then we can talk maybe about some some of the plugin architecture and some of the things that you've done to to customize this and make it your own. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by our friends at Text Expander. Text Expander is the best tool for taking snippets of text and expanding them into fuller content. That can be a whole bunch of things and I thought it'd be interesting to look at my personal stats. So Texas Banner keeps up with what snippets you use and how often. So I ran a report on their website from the beginning of the year until today, the day that I'm recording this ad. And the two most common things are a typo correction. Sometimes, like we all do, I mistype the word the as T-E-H. That has been corrected almost 500 times this year. That's 500 typos that would have been in tweets, Show descriptions, ad copy, messages to Relay FM members. Text Expander has saved me 500 times just with that little typo. Other really common things I do are use Text Expander to expand the date, to manage things on my clipboard, to fill out my home address or my email addresses. Look, Text Expander, without it, 
I, I want to be able to, to work. It makes my Mac so much more useful. And of course, it's everywhere. It's on my PC. It's on my iPhone. It's on my iPad. Text Expander is the tool I turn to to make sure I have consistent messaging. Things are correct. General shortcuts. Just about everything. Check it out. You can visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more. And show listeners will get 20% off their first year. Just for listening to MPU. 20% off your first year at TexExpander.com slash podcast. My thanks to TexExpander for their support of the show and Relay FM. So Nick, before the break, we were kind of talking about Obsidian in the abstract, but it, it has become so much more. And I, I totally agree with you about the developers being top-notch because they have enabled not only their own plugins in the application, but they've enabled third-party plugins and the community has just gone nuts building uh, additional features into this application. It's also now, by the way, on the iPhone, the iPad, we didn't mention that. So, And the plugins work across, which is very weird to me that you can make a plugin on the Mac and it works on the iPad, but that that's generally the case. Um, so what have you, now that you've kind of fully invested in this platform, what are you doing with it to kind of increase its usefulness to you? Yeah, so much. I will try with starting with sliding panes is a plugin. It's one of the more popular ones. Not everyone likes it. Uh, do you use sliding panes, David? Yeah, I do. I think they're cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, one of those Mac tricks that works in most applications, let's see, does it work in Finder? It works in Finder. So is when you hold down shift and then you scroll with the mouse wheel, it'll scroll left to right. I didn't know that until about, I don't know now, four years ago, but when I discovered it, I was telling everybody and I still do. It's amazing. You can scroll left to right. Um, so with sliding panes, each note is a pane. And if you, you can just open several, several notes, you can have 20 notes open. Maybe it's better to have around 10 usually, or two, then you can just scroll back and forth. And you it's literally like you have a physical workbench with a bunch of index cards on it. And you can just start, you know, going from this index card to that one, but with dig- all the advantages of digital text. So I really, really enjoy uh, sliding panes and I use it all the time. Yeah, that that's a good one. The, um, and, and all the con the context for this really, I think with you, Nick is the thing I find so interesting with the linking your thinking content is that, you're helping people use this stuff to do more than track their veterinarian visits. You know, um, the stuff you're doing with it is more kind of deep stuff. I talk on the show occasionally about, I've called it for your Sparky OS, my op, my personal operating system. And that it's a dumb name, you know? And, um, if you actually read the books, our brains are not like computers, but whatever, that's what I've done. And, um, <laughs> But I do have thoughts in there about things like Aristotle and whatnot. And the thing that I found amazing when I started using Obsidian by making the links is the way Obsidian would start showing me connections that I never had really made on the top of my brain that had kind of subconsciously existed, for lack of a better term. And that's one of the things that you're doing a lot of over at Linking Your Thinking. I mean, how do people get started with that? Yeah, uh, get started with kind of making connections. Yeah, there are a few ways. So I like to, the best framing device is thinking about links as, uh, as people in a way like notes are people. And then there are ways to build relationships between notes. 
And uh, there are basically the three core ones, and then there's sort of a fourth one. So we're all pretty familiar with folders. You can group notes together and say, you all live here. Uh, and that's one way to build relationships between those notes. It's They're not actually connected in any like direct way, but they're put together pretty arbitrarily. So that's one way. And then we're also somewhat familiar with tags, and everyone seems to have uh, opinions on them. Um, if anyone has a negative opinion, I just will say, give it another shot, but slowly, because uh, in this link-based world, they they come into play in, in different ways. But then we have this third one that now we have at our fingertips, which is the link itself, the direct link. You're saying these two have a very strong relationship. Maybe they're part of the same family. Maybe they're on the same team. Uh, whereas a tag is a weaker um, bond. Like, hey, we all like the Los Angeles Lakers, but there's a certain power in weak connections as well. And then, and then the fourth one is uh, queries, um, where you can actually put in a certain search, a saved search, and get dashboard results back to you that are always ready and auto-updating. So there are multiple ways that we can form relationships between all these individual notes, and from that, make more sense of things and be more productive. So yeah, I mean, part, through those relationship builders, there are very natural ways that ideas resurface or lead to those serendipitous connections that you were just referring to. Yeah. And they all are supported in Obsidian tags, folders, links, you know, the whole thing exists there. Uh, one of the things that showed up with the Sparky OS as I started moving things into Obsidian was the remarkable number of links I had between uh, writings and articles I'd read about the Buddhist concept of mindfulness and the Stoic ideas. Like I didn't realize that. And then after Obsidian showed me those connections, I started kind of looking at the differences and almost felt to me like there were Western and Eastern versions of a lot of the same ideas. And then I started looking into it deeper and a bunch of people on the internet had already figured this out, but I hadn't, but Obsidian pointed me that way. And that was something where I was like, oh, okay, this is actually more than just a collection of ideas. This is an active communicating database of ideas that almost shows me things that I didn't know existed. It's kind of cool, you know? I would say. I mean, yeah. one, that, one that just recently um, crossed my mind is, uh, so I keep track of uh, three, three kinds of people. Uh, one are like anyone kind of in my network, like you two are in my quote network. And, you know, I don't oh, like cool. using the word net networking, but just broadly speaking, anyone around there that I may have any sort of associated interaction with, I could yeah. say uh, people slash network. Okay, great. Um, the other type are NPCs, like non-player characters. That'd be like Elon Musk or something. Um, they're out there in the world, but I'm not really interacting with them. Um, and then there's a third one prominent people because yeah, hey, let's go back to Aristotle, right? Uh, let's keep track yeah. of prominent people throughout history. That's kind of cool. Um, and I was doing this with my favorite thinkers and something amazing happened. Uh, and it led to, uh, I'm going to do a YouTube video about this eventually, but it led to what I'm calling the five decade rule. And I think there's something about, for me at least, and I, I want to throw it out there as an essay, which is an exploration and just see what people think. But People born five decades before you, you, you revere, and, and they're not too far removed from where you're at culturally, so they still relate, 
but they're far enough removed where maybe you don't feel like, I don't know, competitive or you just, you don't think that they've earned their, their, their ideas have enough time out there in the ether to be validated. And yeah. what I noticed was Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who just passed away, he was born in 1934 or 36, the same year as Carl Sagan, two years off from James Burke. And all the, these are three people, two of them for sure on my Mount Rushmore of thinkers. And I was just, my mind was a little blown. And then I did a little bit more Richard Saul Werman, who created the Ted talks. And uh, he has a book called information anxiety, but these like heavyweights in the thinking world, at least for me, cause that's where a lot of where my energy is this, these days. And they were all born within five years of each other. I mean, I don't know. There's something interesting there. So this is just another example of like how these things can bubble up when you have, you know, all these relationships doing the work for you. Yeah, it, it really is. There's this serendipitous moment when Obsidian shows you a connection that you may have actually made, but you didn't realize it. And I, I don't know. I, I really get some joy out of that. That computer, when computers can surprise me, and I've talked about this whole personal knowledge management thing being like a little mini revolution going on. Um, it's just, I, I have so much joy as a nerd from being there as this is emerging. And, uh, and yeah. I know you guys don't write me. I know there's other apps that have been around longer doing some of this stuff, but the, um, but it's just something about the obsidian, the nature of the plain text and just the, the way you can add these plugins it really just pushes all my buttons. Get, I love, I love that those connections, and even just like on uh, uh, people. Another like you know, so to dear listener that's out there saying, Sparky, please stop talking about Aristotle. I don't care, right? Um, um, you could also use those personal those those note relations with individual people in your life to build a PKM system. Like on the the portion of it that I had my law practice in. Uh, every time I had an opposing counsel, he would get a note and I would anything time we talked, if he talked about that he loved his dog or his kids or whatever, I would take a few notes on it. So I would have a reference to that connection on that person the next time we talked. And I still do that with things outside the law. And I just find um, this tool is infinitely scalable for whatever it is you want to do, whether it be a person, an idea or even I've got a note from my MacBook Pro here that's got the serial number. And it's just, I just love the way everything ties together. I'm very excited about this stuff, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, just to um, jump on to the different use cases, uh, just just um, half an hour before we got on the call, uh, somebody was uh, who's an ocular professional is creating a database that eventually will be used by other people where they're track with images, where they're tracking um, if an image is taken and they're trying to diagnose what it is. They're trying to use this database within Obsidian to de determine what that might look like using both a top-down method and a bottom-up explorative method to better diagnose and standardize the, the diagnosing process. That I mean, that's, that's professional, that's specific. It, it's really amazing. And, uh, then, you know, in a previous one, someone else is doing that with, um, nutrition and medical purposes as far as like treatments and, and that, but yeah, the, the, it's, it really blows your mind how different, many different ways this can be used. Yeah. I mean, it's a thinking tool. People say, well, what do I want? What, what should I do with this? I'm like, well, what do you want to think about? 
You know, mm-hmm. I mean, in more power users today, we're going to talk about you exploring jazz. And I assume there's probably an element of of obsidian in that as well. Yeah, I ho- hopefully enough people are in, enjoying the conversation about obsidian because both you and I are kind of obsessed <laughs> with it. Yeah, we picked that topic while Stephen was out of town. Yeah, <laughs> so we came back that. and saw <laughs> jazz as the more power users topic. As well, okay, I guess that's what we're doing. Um, what are what are some other plugins or, or tools that you're using with Obsidian? Sure, um, some other plugins. There's one. Eventually, this will probably be a core feature, but Tag Wrangler. If anyone's had frustrations with tags in the past, Tag Wrangler allows you to look at your tag. Let's say you had one called Books, but now all of a sudden you want to change it to Book because you've decided, well, singular tags, that might be better. So um, now with just a couple clicks, you can make that change and have it auto percolate through all of the notes where it said Books, it'll now say hashtag book. Um, so that's Tag Wrangler. And that just makes tags come alive. Now they don't feel so fragile. So that's that's one for sure. There is a, a plugin called Data View that allows you to basically turn Obsidian into a database and like collect um, data based on tags or other information. Um, this is one that's kind of second level for people getting into the app. But could you talk about that a little bit and how you're using it? I guess I'm assuming you are using it. Well, I am more and more. I, I am hesitant though, because it is, like you said, it's kind of a, at an advanced level. But when we, when I was talking about those relationship builders, we're very familiar with folders, most of us with tags. Now we're becoming more familiar with how to use links effectively. But that fourth one is um, a type of saved search we might call it a query. And so data view is a way to create those queries. And they're insanely powerful. Um, they, that's how you get those dashboards. Like, Hey, I want to create my own dashboard view. Well, data view is probably the, a way to get there. Um, it definitely requires a lot of, um, guessing and checking. One of the good things about having a robust community is that a lot of the people have already done a lot of the hard work and then you can try out something. You still have to see if it's going to work for you, but then that way you can create these custom dashboards. I mean, this, this guy, Fabian, um, he blows my mind. He was showing me his workflow for ideas. And so for one, he's like, got a new idea. He's got this big button, add new idea here. And then right below that, he's got a, a data view list that limits to just the most, just to five ideas. And it, he waits 10 days. So he's got the query where it'll wait 10 days before it appears in this list to allow ideas to cool down, you know, because we always think they're so great in the moment. So he forces these ideas to cool down and then he reviews them and then he decides if they want to, if they're going to be a spaceship idea, like he's going to take off and fly this thing around, or if it maybe it'll just be a satellite to orbit around for a bit, or if he should park it and come back to it later. So like he's, he's got an effective way to handle ideas. He's also made it completely Fabian because it's got the space theme going on and it's extremely practical and it's built on data scopes, these queries that do all the work for him. It's really cool. Yeah, it, it is. I do something similar for collecting content ideas now that I'm just Max Barkey, and I shared that in the labs. But uh, having a quick way to capture them and just know that they're there and you can go see them anytime you want and decide if they're going to become something bigger or something you delete, that there's something to that. You know, absolutely. 
there's also the whole thing in Obsidian with the way the app looks. So it, it's an Electron app. We talked about that on the Obsidian show, and we went through the pluses and minuses of that. But one of the things I do like is you can change the look of it. They've got a whole community theme system. In fact, you built one, I think, one of the community themes you made yourself. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. do you have, like, do you change themes up often in Obsidian, or are you, like, you just use yours all the time? Um, I like checking out the themes. I always just go back to mine. And, and as you know, mine is uh, pretty poppy. It's got tons of uh, color. Yeah. I hate yours. Like, I hate yours, man. I can't, <laughs> I can't look at it. <laughs> yep. Uh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's like a dark mode, kind of retro 80s, um, retro futuristic 80s theme, I guess, with some pop of, co- with plenty of pops of color. It's called, well, the original one was called Cybertron. Uh, the new one's called light mode, L Y T mode. Um, and it's, I don't know, you, you guys, if, if you're listening to this, you should at least see what it looks like. Cause oh, I'll have to try light mode. Cybertron's the one that I, that I couldn't get my head around, but I mean, they, they've got some real, like they've, there are some that are way out there, you know, and that's kind of the fun of this community based application is that you don't have like Apple, like going through and saying, no, that's not acceptable to us. You right. know, you can put anything out there. And some of them, like there's a neon one that I know gray likes. I, I can't stand it. I, I'm like with the minimal themes generally, I'll try the fancy ones and they never last for me, but I, I'm going to try the light theme. I didn't realize that you've got another one now, but. Well, well it's called light mode and you're not going to like it, but you might as well see what it looks like. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. I will, I will do that. In fact, for the rest of the show, I'll have it in light mode. L Y T. L Y T. Yeah. Okay. There it is. <laughs> okay. I already hate it. I already hate it. That's okay. I'm going to use it for the rest of the show today. Not, actually, it's not bad. It's not that bad. I like the yellow line anyway, but yeah, so, so you can change appearance the the plugins do do you have any concern about the plugins that's one of the things is community plugins so they're made by other people uh mm-hmm. should we be worried about putting our data into an application where some guy somewhere else in the world can write something that plugs into it i mean how do you handle that well you you should be you should be a little worried where you are on on the spectrum has to be a mixture of like your personal privacy policy and then just a general understanding of how much you want to be future-proofed as well. So if you use any plugin, there's an opportunity to be less future-proof. And um, that's why it's always nice to think, what would those two German guys who have the archive app, what would they do or think, or can my notes still work in that environment? Um, But it's really amazing when you can have something that can auto-update all of your tags like we talked about with Tag Wrangler. Um, the best way is to allow the community to validate, just like Wikipedia is is the strength of the community to say whether or not something is accurate. It's not going to be foolproof, but after time, the wisdom of the crowd in this, in this scenario um, wins out. Uh, that doesn't always work, but in this scenario, if something, if there's a plugin that might have anything that seemed harmful on it, well, all these other developers and programmers, they're going to know and ban that immediately. Also worth noting is that you can't just add one. Um, it has to be approved by the, one of the greatest developers. There is, not like I would know, but that's how I feel about um, Leecat. It's the code name for one of the two Obsidian developers. And that 
he knows what he's talking about. And, and so amazingly l- reviews all of the, the plugins before they actually become official. You just have to be yeah. aware because if you have something that um, is like data view, if you decide, oh, I just, I'm going to take advantage of data view, data view so much, then, um, well, what if that's not maintained or what if the code slightly is changed? It's a definite concern. Um, there are ways that they're mitigating that. Um, this is a new term to me, but many of the great plugins out there have been Sherlocked. Are you aware of this term? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's an old uh, Mac term. That's Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. There was, uh, oh, I can't believe I could tell this story on MPU. There was a <laughs> third-party app called Watson that was like searching your machine, searching the web. This is way back, like 25 years ago. And then cool. Apple had a product called Sherlock that basically did the same thing. And that's that's where the term comes from. Yeah. I mean, they it, it was such a copy that they gave that's it so a similar cool. name. And <laughs> now if you're a developer and you get Sherlock, that means that Apple made something. Like when Reading List came out for Safari, a lot of people said that Sherlocked Instapaper, you know, mm-hmm. because it saw what Instapaper did and it just added it to Safari. Um and it still happens, you know. Oh, that I love that story, by the way, Stephen. That's so cool. Um, yeah, and so what those developers are doing is, if there's some a plugin, and they're like, "That's really cool," then they kind of talk with the the developer. I don't know exactly how that looks, but they do Sherlock things if they feel that should be a part of the core feature set of Obsidian, um, like the ability to. And I don't even know if if this is out yet, but essentially. It's going to be soon if it's not. I don't know if it's an insider release, but you can hover over a note and get that page preview. Like it'll pop up and show you. And then you can just start editing right there. Like how powerful is that? Then it's just this immersive, almost feels three-dimensional space almost where you can just hover over one note, pop into it, add a line or two, go into the next note. Um, so, you know, certain features become Sherlocked and then they become part of the core Obsidian feature set. And that seems to give it a, a little bit more robustness and reliability long-term. But, um, but yeah, that's one way. Well, and, and that's, I like the way you kind of whisper when you said that, Nick, cause like, it's like inside knowledge, but, um, <laughs> if you just give them some money, I mean, like the app is free Obsidian, but if you like pay, I forget what I paid something. I, I want this app to continue, so I'm giving them money. Um, they get you in the beta builds, and like so, there are thousands of people testing these betas, and and it's great because you get to see that stuff up front. It's really not that much of a secret, honestly. They they even had I don't know if they still have it or not. I haven't checked recently, but they had a, a little um, Kanban board online. You could go in and see what the next feature they're working on at any time. So yeah, yeah. They, they're not secretive. That's And frankly, that's an advantage of an app like this. You want to know what they're up to and that they're actively working on it. But uh, the good news is from all indications, it's a small development team, so it's not ex- hugely expensive to develop. But they're doing a great job, and there's a lot of enthusiastic users, and they have a commercial license if you want it. And I, I think this app's going to be around for a long time. But at the end of the day, it's, a, it's also a group of markdown files. And um um, I would uh, strongly encourage anybody listening that's curious about it, just go sign up for Linking Your Thinking. And Nick has got introductory videos there that really show it. But he also does, as he's indicated throughout the show, he, he works with a lot of people that are doing really interesting work and research with this tool. And to see how they use it 
really helps. Uh, I did one with him too. We'll link that as well, where I kind of spent an hour going through what I'm doing with Obsidian. And um, I just think that, you know, this is something, even if you're not interested in using it, you should be aware of how this technology works, because I think this is, this is not going to end with Obsidian. I fully expect Apple Notes and uh, other third-party apps to like be incorporating at least pieces of this as we go into the future. Rightfully so. I mean, this needs to be Sherlocked everywhere, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, this is truly, if you spend time online and want to stay, we're not just future-proofing our notes. What we're doing, I strongly believe, is future-proofing ourselves. And if if, if you don't at least have some familiarity with what's happening with link-based network uh, knowledge and some of the apps out there, it leaves you vulnerable, I feel, to the the changes of the world. You know, a pandemic runs around, that, that thing you're relying on is no longer there. When you have a robust knowledge management space, it allows you more easily to pivot and provide you options to jump into some other area where just naturally your own enthusiasm has built up some level of, um, we might say expertise. Maybe that's too strong, but it just future-proofs you in, in a way that's actually led by joy. And then maybe when you are under the pressures of having to look for more work, all of a sudden you recognize, whoa, I actually have built sort of a unique stack of skills and that that might just save me here. So I, I, I really would encourage the, the leap into understanding a, an app like Obsidian or anything that can handle networked link-based thought because it's, it's really, a, I think, a crucial skill set moving forward. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Indeed. Go to indeed.com slash MPU and get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post. You're successful in business because you love doing the research, whether it's the state of the market or the next right hire. But when you're low on hours and you still want to do a great job on hiring, who do you go to for help? It's time for Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites, hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a job post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. It's pretty incredible how easy Indeed makes it to hire great talent. According to Comscore, Indeed is the number one job site worldwide. And here's a stat for you. Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talentist. So start hiring right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash MPU. This offer is valid through March 31st, so go to Indeed.com slash MPU to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash MPU is that URL one last time. Terms and conditions apply. Do you need to hire? You need Indeed. And our thanks to Indeed for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. So you're not just using uh, in, using Obsidian for yourself. You have built uh, a business in teaching people about these concepts and about the application specifically. 
Uh, I'd like to hear a little bit about that business and uh, maybe let's start sort of back in the planning stages when you uh, were looking to move into this area. What were some of the things that you put in place early on? Yeah, there was no planning. Um, That Obsidian app came out and I just started geeking out in the private Discord, not private, but the beta Discord forums with that tool and sharing things. That stuff resonated. And then I... I saw actually uh, that there was another type of knowledge management program out there. And I was like, oh, I really don't agree with what's being promoted there. And I think there's another way. So I started just sharing more and more and then said, hey, I know you guys don't know me except in this online chat space, but would you be willing to do this free beta workshop? And uh, eight or nine people said yes. And so I took them through the first workshop of this thing that became linking your thinking. So, uh, you know, I just kind of forged under, under the fire of having a live workshop and I had to deliver and solidify the concepts that I felt were, were valuable when it comes to linked based thinking. Cause underpinning all of it is if you start linking notes together, whether you like it or not, you're going to form an ecosystem and some ecosystems of notes are going to be healthier than others. So my goal is to kind of figure out what are those ways to make it sustainable. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if it's for personal knowledge or if it's for like journaling or if it's for professional work to inc- improve how society manages diagnosing ocular degeneration. Like, you know, it's, it's a really wide spectrum. But yeah, just to continue on on that thread. So I shared the first one that went well. And I said, hey, let's market this and put a price on it. And it was several hundred and I was like, okay, if I get 12 people, then that's great. And this was fall of 2020 and ended up getting over 50. I was like, whoa, okay, this this might be bigger than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, the demand is strong. So we are just finishing up workshop seven this week, actually. And there are 50, just this week, 50 um, people presenting for 15 minutes, um, a peek at their PKM system. And we have returning people showing up just to watch because- I mean, it's really hard to explain, but there's nothing more valuable than seeing all these brilliant minds coming at knowledge management from their own unique, diverse skill sets from all these different countries, all these different socioeconomic backgrounds all together and sharing how they're using knowledge. It's it's so exciting and we pick up so many great ideas from each other. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we do during these very intense six week workshops. And I just want to say like, it's, it, it has a price tag associated with it, but 30%, um, of every, everyone who's involved are on scholarship. So it's really important to me that and it's kind of selfish too, because if we, if we don't include outside diverse developing people from developing countries, then we are all worse off. But when we have their voices in, they're brilliant, just like anyone else who I want. I want I want, I want the best thinkers around in these workshops because they make us all better and they challenge us and they, they force us to think about things differently. So it's kind of become, and this just, I'll end with this, is that it's kind of become, you know, Y Combinator is the business startup accelerator. The Linking Your Thinking Workshop is kind of like a PKM accelerator. Yeah, it makes total sense. And 
And, and what are you using? Because you have people working with you now. I mean, how are you kind of holding it all together? You've got customers, you've got um, videos to produce. I mean, what's the technology stack for all of that? Sure. Um, big, big shout out to Dan Lardy, who's he's basically my right hand man. He was in the first workshop and we had just met as organically as possible in those chats. Um, and I'm so lucky because it's allowed the, what I'm doing to actually have happened really. And I think accelerated in, in ways that are hard to imagine. He, he pushed the YouTube channel and that turned out to be a big uh, success. So stuff like that. Um, and he does handles all these tiny details. So when it comes to team knowledge management, um, that is a difficulty that plain text isn't quite there yet, in my opinion. I do yeah. think they'll turn the corner. It's just going to take a while, though. So uh, reluctantly, I, I um, now that our team, it's kind of strange to say that, now that that's growing, um, where I think kind of like I'm trudging my way to notion for non-creative uh, team management purposes. Anything that's creative is not going to be a notion, but when it comes to managing the team, actions, projects, and that sort of thing, um, I think we're going to have to do something like with use notion. Yeah. We had uh, a guest um, on earlier this year and we did a whole show on notion. And I think that's a great solution, but I would also encourage you to look at other options. I feel like um, everybody these days just defaults to saying, well, I need notion. We got to collaborate. <laughs> and I feel like there are some great products out there um, developing now that, that aren't notion. I mean, and notion's great. Uh, I'm not telling you if you're using it, you should stop using it. But I do think that um, we fall into this trap where everybody just says, well, that's the one. And I don't think it is just the one. I think there's a lot of them. Yeah. It's, um, it's kind of funny. It's like, um, I want to spend 80% of my time in my PKM and yeah. 20, 20% in this other land. And I don't know if I, if that's going to be accomplished or not, but I guess that's where I do see the appeal of having somebody else set up a little bit of a system. And if they say, yeah. Hey, this kind of works, then I'm like, well, it's not going to be as good as if I built it from the ground up because all systems work best when they're built from the ground up. But, um, yeah, it's just, we're getting to the point where I'm feeling the strain of not being able to communicate effectively, um, with multiple people and multiple permission settings. That's one of the 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 feature sets I am trying to match. If not if if not Notion, then what else can handle um, permissions with the the databasing that Notion does quite well. Yeah. Um, but I'm open. I'm all ears. If you want to send yeah, me down I, I a couple, I don't have all the holes. answers. I just I, I don't have all the answers. I just want to make you doubt yourself. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. that, that advice is really if you're if you're on board with Notion, that's fine. But just to listeners, I would say just take a look around. I I totally understand the pressure you're under because I've been going through the same thing. I I just made this big transition in my life, and um, the main thing I want to do is make content. You know, I want to make cool videos and great podcasts and field guides, and like suddenly I find myself working on the back end a lot, you know, making sure we have RSS feeds and like, there's a whole bunch of stuff that needed to happen. Um, and I do think that when you're in that phase, you're kind of where I am right now. It's okay to take extra time on the back end at the beginning. And I think you can really save yourself a lot of time at the end and really create a situation where you can be just making content, getting your 80 or 90% of your time into PKM content 
once you get the back end figured out. But I, I would encourage you not to just rush through that because you don't want to have to do it twice. That's the only, you know, that's the worst thing. Mm-hmm. What do you use for like, uh, like, like in terms of like just tracking projects and tasks with your team and like, commu- how do you communicate with them? Is it all done in Notion? We set up the um, linking your thinking email service through Google. And uh, that was a compromise, but I feel happy with that because I just, their backend seems so snappy and fast. And before that, our email account was with under Bluehost and I despise Bluehost. Um, we're getting so much spam uh, and then messages that weren't supposed to be spam were in spam. And so it's been a lot healthier with um, going through Google. And the reason I say that is because we're using Google chat, which it just works. I mean, it's just a thing. I'm not saying like it's best in class, but it just kind of works for smaller teams to communicate in different spaces in that sort of Slack way. But um, we also use Slack for the workshops with, we have like about 15 to 20 quote guides. These are veteran uh, workshop participants who kind of guide a crew of 15 people uh, just they're there to answer questions, you know, um, as, as needed yeah. and kind of help during some breakout sessions. So we use Slack for that. Um, until recently there wasn't, and, and I was kind of priding myself on this, but I, I don't have any task management or project management. And I've been that way for years <laughs> until now, because things are now it's about communicating more with, with others. I'm like, crap, yeah. now I have to start managing these things that I was so happy that I was avoiding because I've always had bad luck with OmniFocus and, and things. And, um, but I, yeah, so I think whatever ends up being the notion, if it's not notion, that's what we'll be using also to, to manage the projects and the tasks. Yeah. Well, I mean, use what works. That's what I say, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but it's kind of funny uh, seeing you begrudgingly get into being a manager, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> Yeah. Be careful, man. That's a skill you're going to need with the thing you're doing now. Yeah. And it's it's so common with somebody who starts a project like this. Like It's a sign of success that that you get to build out this team and struggle with these things because, you know, otherwise you'd just be the, the guy working at home by yourself. And that's that's fun. But sometimes it's uh, you want a bit more. That's true. And just a balancing act, um, you know, from the whole pink gloves boxing thing that I did with my, my dear friend, Garrett, um, we're very conscious, him especially, about maintaining a lifestyle that we, um, that we liked and enjoyed. So there were certain opportunities or decisions, should we go this route? Because if we go this route, it's going to change who we are, what we do. Are, is, that, is that what we want? And uh, so I'm feeling that same tension because, um, and, and, I, and I, I think it can be accomplished though, because David, like you were saying, is you want to spend more time in that creative mindset or like that maker mindset. And yes, there has to be the executive functioning mindset as well. But what I don't want to do is create a job that I don't like. So I am begrudgingly, like I understand because you're absolutely right, Stephen, got to do more of that. But the real I'm just always going to keep first things first and say, like, how can we keep the balance appropriate? Yeah. And uh, as someone who's been dealing with these same questions recently, what I would add is that it's okay if they're out of balance while you're getting started. You should almost expect to have to spend more time being a manager as you get this thing off the ground. 
And if you do it right, the payoff is you get to spend more time being a maker later. And um, at least that's what I've decided in my head as I'm dealing with the same struggle. Now, (laughs) in six months, I'm still being a manager. I'm not going to be happy. But I I do feel like right now, uh, for me, it's the same thing. Like I'm figuring out what are the big problems that my customers have. And and eventually, I'm going to be able to train other people to deal with those problems. But right now, I need to understand what they are and how to fix them. And um, and I bet you're kind of dealing with the same thing. We, we can talk about this offline, I guess, at some point. We don't need to bother sure. listeners with it. But I think it's true for, for listeners. I mean, I think it's true anytime you have a change in your life of significance. Uh, if you're into technology, you want to spend a little time getting your arms around the problem and figuring out the solution. And then you get to work afterwards. Um, but the, uh, but don't discount that first part, because if you don't do it right, then it's going to be a, a chain around your neck for a long time. This episode of Mac power users is brought to you by Microsoft lists. We all know how important it is to track information and share it with others. It's basically the whole point of this episode, this interview And if you're looking for a new way to track and manage work and life from start to finish, check out Microsoft Lists. It's here to help you create your brain space and get organized. It all starts at lists.live.com. There's a link in the show notes. Microsoft kicked off a preview program to try lists with your Microsoft account, and it's all designed for small business and individual use. Start by creating and sharing your list with colleagues, partners, your soccer team, your neighbors, You might create a list of books or movies for your monthly meetings or track home improvement projects and important receipts throughout the year or build out team rosters for your soccer team or volunteer group. At lists.live.com, you can start quickly with ready-made templates and use filters and views to visualize your information so you get one list with many views. Then you can share your list as links to draw others in and work together. The ready-made templates are really cool. They save you a bunch of time, uh, they start blank, and you can add in exactly what and how you want to track your information. It's super flexible and great for gift ideas, playlists or media lists, issue trackers, and so much more. One thing I do often in my to-do list is take notes during meetings or calls. So getting quick entry in is really important. And Microsoft List has uh, just a great UI for that sort of thing. I've really been impressed with how far it's come. So go check it out now. Try the preview. There's no cost. Just go to your browser and type lists.live.com. Sign up, sign in, and track what matters most. Check it out and get this. Let Microsoft know what you like if you have any feature requests. Our thanks to Microsoft for the support of the show and Relay FM. Nick, we always like to end these interviews talking about some of your favorite apps and services. I know you've been using a Mac a long time. Um, and, uh, I don't expect we're going to hear many iPad apps from you today, but I would like to know what are some of your favorite, uh, apps and services that help you get through the day? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, uh, it'll be familiar to you. A set app set up is a fantastic, um, way to just find. And usually when I find some sort of app out there, I realize it's already a part of the setup collection. And I think, wow, like, I don't know how they do it, but, yeah. um, <laughs> so yeah. three of I think three of the ones I have to share are from that um, tech sniper, which um, is just amazing. So I can hit command shift two. I think that's the natural one for it. And then whatever's on the screen, I can essentially copy that text, um, which is very helpful if you're watching a video or uh, any sort of 
screen share potentially. Like, you know, you don't want to just be copying anybody's stuff, but it's just a nice way to really quickly um, get the, the text on screen. Boom, like that. And then you can paste it somewhere else. Um, one I'm actually almost curious to ask you two about is the need for amphetamine, which is, I don't know how to best describe it, but it's a way to keep, I guess I should put this in context, uh, the need for amphetamine, the app. (laughs) 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 So with amphetamine, it is essentially keeps your external hard disks spinning. And, and the reason that this is currently a need is I don't know exactly, but with the new M1, not having many ports, I have this external like a port hub from CalDigit, and that then connects to a couple external hard drives, and they're constantly, constantly booting and spinning back up. They're not solid state because that's really expensive, um, and it's making me going crazy. So I found this uh, app called Amphetamine, and that tricks it to stay spinning, but I don't really understand what's happening there, but I'm very thankful it exists. That's an interesting problem, you know? Um, so are they, do they make, are they noisy when they, when they spin up or? Not crazy, no, but you can just hear it. It's at that kind of like higher pitch where it's like, yeah. And it's <laughs> yeah. just enough to drive you crazy. <laughs> yeah. The other thing people use amphetamine for is when you want to have your screen uh, left on. Like when I shoot video in front of my, screen and I want to have the screen left on for the video, I, uh, I, I run amphetamine for that. Oh, okay. Good to know. You've got some more though. So another one is uh, color slurp. So with those themes that you just adore and love that I've created in uh, Obsidian, color slurp has been a good way to, <laughs> I'm, I'm being facetious of course, but uh, color slurp is a great way to just not just find a color that you like or color scheme, but you can save them into palettes so you can refer back to them really easily. And so when, when you're trying to get that shade of yellow just right and see how it does play next to a shade of faded cyan, that's, that's been really helpful. There's so many uses for that too. I mean, even if you're just making keynote presentations and you just want the colors to look nicer, having a way to, to grab a color and then you can, use that color in a color wheel or, or do all sorts of things to make nice complementary colors. I use the same app and that's how I come up with the colors for some of the field guide covers. Great app. Oh, I'm curious if there's one where I can mention that you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I'm a big setup fan. Honestly, I, I guess yeah. we should just talk about that just for a minute. You know, um, we don't get into politics on the show much, um, but you know, Ukraine has been invaded and Setup is from MacPaw, which is a Ukrainian developer. They're friends of ours. And uh, uh, I've been in email contact with them. They're doing okay. But, um, you know, mm-hmm. it's not fun to be like, have your country invaded and, and uh, anything folks want to do to support them. And I'm doing this very awkwardly because I didn't really plan on doing it. But if you go to the uh, MacPaw website, they've got some links there. And I trust the links those guys have. They've been a longtime supporter of the show, but they're also just, uh, you know, they're nerds like us and they're dealing with this stuff. And um, I guess I'll just leave it at that. But I would recommend going to the setup website and to the uh, MacPaw website if you want to see any ways you can help them out. Yeah, they their CEO put a really good blog post together. And I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. It's uh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you did mention that. Uh, 
It, it's tough to strike the balance between not being involved in a different topic, but it's, I think, worth mentioning. So I appreciate that. Yeah. You got any more? I think I see one on the list here I've never heard of. What's ClipGrab? Yes. All right. Um, so so ClipGrab, I know there's one that is also in SetApp, but I just became so familiar with the ease of use with ClipGrab. Essentially, as far as I understand it, and I'm no expert here, but it's just an open source way to grab YouTube videos and other things that seems to work pretty nicely for my purposes. I mean, there's there's nothing fancy about it. You just copy a URL, you open ClipGrab, it's, it checks out what's on your clipboard and then just asks you if you want to start um, downloading it. So that, that's been really effective every now and then to grab some sort of uh, some sort of clip for whatever purpose on YouTube really like that one. And it's been been around for a while. You can learn a lot from YouTube. I mean, there's a lot of great educational content on there. I'm assuming that probably is part of your personal knowledge management system is references to some of these videos. It is. Uh, yeah. And with ClipGrab too, that actually, I learned about it when I was um, a post-production coordinator because we'd have to grab potential clips of different things just as uh, temporary placeholders. And so that was a really effective tool to quickly grab something. Well, well, Nick, I am, as a fan of yours and a friend of yours, I'm so happy that you're able to put all your time into linking your thinking. And I, I don't think I did justice to what you're doing there. It's a really great set of videos. Uh, gang, if you're listening and you have the slightest bit of interest in Obsidian, I'd recommend going and checking out some of the content that Nick has and the stuff he's done. It's all on YouTube at Linking Your Thinking. You also have a website, Nick. What's the URL again? Uh, yeah, linkingyourthinking.com. That'd probably be the place place to go. Yeah, so go there, and that's got links to YouTube and the and the cohort classes and all the other content that Nick has. Anywhere else uh, folks should go to see you, Nick? Yeah, I'd say the best one is the dot .com sl- um, slash learn. There's a link to a newsletter. Yeah, I, you know, feel free to unsubscribe. But what's nice about that is then you'll receive an extensive list of free resources that are all kind of curated for you, including the talk that we had. Actually, I think more than one because we have the the lighthouse and then the focused podcast with Mike Schmitz. So it's yeah. just we try to do our best to curate helpful resources, especially if someone's new to this. They they probably should just kind of ease into it with random, you know, free content here and there. So that's what that resources page attempts to do. Excellent. Uh, thank you for coming on, Nick. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us at relay.fm/mpu. Uh, we want to thank our sponsors today, 1Password, Text Expander, Indeed, and Microsoft Lists. And we'll see you next time.